It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Back in Raleigh, together again. Not that we took time apart. They got right to work as soon as they got here this week, a week after spring break. Starting on Monday, the Senate was working on their budget. So a lot of senators in town Monday. And then Tuesday, it was just committee after committee after committee. And the building was full Tuesday and Wednesday. Even today, we're recording on Thursday afternoon. There was a group out having a rally, early childhood education folks. Our colleague Christy Jones was with them today. The line to get into the LOB, I put a tweet about it. It snaked. You could just say, I tweeted. I put up a tweet about it. It's too many words. (laughs) Okay. The line snaked all the way to the white fence that runs along Lane Street. And you really had to think twice, do I really need to leave the LOB? Do I need to leave the legislative building? And there were a lot of field trips there this week. I saw a ton of field trips. Yeah, two schools were in today. It was, yeah, a lot of kids. Yeah, how do you feel about that? I'm tired of the kids (laughs) getting in my way. You're anti-kids. No, I'm not This man, is he hates children. (laughs) I do not hate children, but there's nothing worse than you're walking down Bicentennial Mall and you see kids filing up yeah. and you're like, I got to speed up. <laughs> I've got to speed up. I got to beat these kids to get through security. Security actually does a great job with the kids. Apparently they can come in with anything because those kids just go right you through. You know, I saw kids having purses the other day and they were like, Eight. I'm like, what yeah. are you carrying? They got to carry their cell phone. They got to Instagram this stuff. <laughs> there was a bill about that this week. There was. Yeah. S- social media addiction press conference this week and then a bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does that bill do? I think it has DOJ study the impacts of social media on kids. I saw the speaker's son, Wilson Moore, in the hallway. He was talking about it with someone. And I said, yeah, I got to social media addiction. He says, well, you need to call a lawyer and I'll be out of law school soon. We can file a lawsuit. We can make a claim. You know who else files lawsuits along those lines? Who? Senator Jay Chaudhary. Okay. Those are interesting bills. We did hear one interesting bill in, I think, five different venues. It's called the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. This is House Bill 574. There's a Senate counterpart that's also making its way through the Senate. This bill got a lot of media attention. In fact, as we are recording, the Senate is about to start debate on this bill. We're watching it on YouTube. Can you talk a little bit about what the bill does, Sky? And there were some changes in the House bill. Originally, the two bills that were moving, the House version and the Senate version, were companion bills. That means they are the exact same wording. There are no changes between the two chambers' filed bills. And what the bill does is says that folks who are transgender girls, so that's someone who is born as a biological male and transitions to be a female, so a transgender girl, would not be able to play on sports teams with other girls. Originally, both bills were for middle and high school. The House bill was amended on Wednesday morning to include colleges as well. 
So that changed that bill a little bit. The other change in the House bill was that it also did not allow girls, any girls, to compete in wrestling. Hmm. But it did allow girls to compete in football. So we started the week on Tuesday with the Senate version being debated and voted on in the Senate Higher Education Committee. Senator Vicki Sawyer is the lead legislator on the bill. She presented the bill, and there was a robust debate. The bill was voted out of that Senate committee. It later went on to the Senate Rules Committee on Wednesday, and the Senate didn't have any floor votes until today, Thursday. The House, on the other hand, they started their debate on Wednesday in the Judiciary One Committee. It was up in 643. It was a longer-than-usual committee meeting. We should note that Chairman Ted Davis started the discussion of the bill with words of, we are going to be civil, we are going to be respectful, we're going to let everyone speak, we're going to hear them out, I want no clapping. And for the most part, it was a very good debate. Folks were civil. The proponents of the bill brought folks to testify. We had some former athletes that said they were affected by biological males playing against them. The folks who were opposed to the bill gave testimony, mainly from parents saying that their children are transgender, they need to be a part of sports, they need to have some involvement. The bill ends up getting to the House floor on Wednesday. So that bill passed first. Again, different version. It was noted three Democrats did side with the Republicans about this legislation. The three Democrats that voted for that bill are Representative Garland Pierce, Representative Michael Ray, and Representative Shelley Willingham. It was a 73 to 39 vote. There was a lot of absences from this House floor vote. A lot of Democratic absences, more so than Republican absences. People were asking about the two bills being companion bills and moving at the same time. So just to back up a little bit, if you don't practice the legislative process often, it might be a little bit confusing. A bill has to pass both chambers in order to be ratified and sent to the governor. So the question was, hypothetically, if both bills pass each chamber simultaneously, does that mean they become law? And the answer to that is no, because one bill has to be the ratified bill. And that one bill is sent to the governor. So that would have been the case had those bills remained companion bills. Again, they do not, they're not companion bills anymore. So folks also asked as follow-up, why would you move the same bill? At the same time. At the same time through the respective chambers. And, you know, we don't know the answer to it. We've talked to some legislators about it. One is uh, there may not be some coordination between the House and the Senate. The House wants to move theirs, the Senate wants to move theirs, and they're just not talking to each other. I want to note for this particular bill, the United States House of Representatives is also moving Mm -hmm. their bill that is similarly situated this week, and that is being sponsored by Representative Virginia Fox out Mm -hmm. of North Carolina. So all three of these bills are moving at the exact same time. The second 
issue is that maybe the bill sponsors want to get credit, at least in the media, because the media is covering this issue. So Representative Jennifer Balcom, uh, Representative Aaron Prey, Representative Kristen Baker, they presented their bill. And then on the other side, it's Senator Vicki Sawyer, Senator Joyce Kravick, and Senator Kevin Corbin. The idea is that maybe they just want to get that press. That's all moot now because they're seems to be, unless they make some amendments today on the Senate floor, there seems to be two distinctly different bills. And the question is, moving forward, which bill are they going to choose? It's not a rule, but it is a practice that whichever bill passes over first, that would be the vehicle that they take up. But it'll be interesting to see how the Senate looks at that House version, how the House looks at that Senate version. There could be some delays. There even could be an impasse, theoretically. I don't think there will be. They'll figure out something. But they're going to have to pick a bill to eventually be the vehicle that goes to the governor's desk. And I think we're looking at a veto, likely, of the bill. Sure. And one other thing, just a procedural note here, is that once you have a bill that has passed a chamber, and let's say the Senate does take up the House version of that bill, that means that Senate version is over in the House sitting, it's made crossover, and it is a vehicle for anything. You could strip the language out of that bill and put a brand new bill into it. And that is one of the ways to get around the crossover deadline and to get around the bill filing deadline. So it's essentially just a glistening piece of gold sitting there. (laughs) Another controversial bill started moving in the Senate this week. This is a community colleges bill that gives appointment power to the General Assembly in appointing community college trustees This is something that has been exclusive for a governor, and Governor Cooper, along with some former governors, took a very strong position in opposition to that Senate bill. This is one of the long battles between the legislature and the governor. I know that when I was in law school, our North Carolina constitutional law class studied McCrory and the legislature and those appointment powers and what was constitutional within that. So even when the governor is of the same parties as the legislature, there are issues. And that was exemplified in this bill and the former governors coming out against that in a bipartisan way really highlights that sort of tension. We have heard a Senate passage of the bill is almost certain. Big question mark is, does the House want to take this up? We've heard even from our Republican friends over on the Senate that they're not so sure what the House will do, if anything. As the House was adjourning today, Sky, we noticed that Speaker Moore made an announcement or an update about where we are in the budget process. The speaker noted that he expected to receive the Senate's budget proposal within three weeks, which is consistent with what we had been hearing. I had talked to some Republicans over on the Senate side about where they are on the budget process. They felt that the House budget kept some money off the table and that they will fill that money in in the conference 
process. The Senate is saying, look, if they're going to do that, we might do that too. Kind of put together just kind of a rough, rough draft of the Senate version, big picture kind of stuff, and then really drill down into the details in the conference report. And I know this is changing a lot of strategies among lobbyists, including us, of how we are engaging budget writers, knowing that this draft that comes out in the Senate is really going to be a rough draft. Sky, as we're recording the podcast, we are getting some breaking news on Twitter. Andy Spay at WREL has tweeted out a story from Travis Fain saying that the House GOP has reached a consensus position to ban abortion after about 12 weeks, with exceptions. The exceptions are for rape, incest, fetal abnormalities, and to protect the mother's life. However, there is a catch here, and that is, has the Senate agreed to it? And it appears that Travis went and spoke to Senator Berger. Senator Berger said he was still talking to his members about it. We'll hear more about this next week, I'm sure. We heard some political news this week, statewide offices that are being sought. On Thursday morning, Representative John Bradford, he'd previously said he was looking into whether or not to run for the treasurer job. And Thursday morning, he announced he would be running. That is going to be an open seat. Treasurer Del Falwell has announced that he is going to run for governor and already setting up to be a Mecklenburg County clash between Representative John Bradford, a Republican, and Representative Wesley Harris, a Democrat. Today I talked to Representative Jeffrey Elmore before the House session began, told him I had heard a rumor earlier in the week that he is looking at the lieutenant governor's race. Representative Elmore is a Republican. He is a big appropriation chair in the House. He told me that he is exploring it, that he has a team together, they're really looking hard at this race, and he expects that it is likely that he will get into that statewide race. Representative Elmore is from Wilkes County. Also, this coming Saturday, fairly well known that Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson will be announcing his bid for governor. He's going to do it at the Ace Speedway in Alamance County. Mm-hmm. So 2024 is coming into focus, it seems, every week we are adding on new news. But congratulations to everyone who has announced and declared that they're running for office. Best of luck. This week's guest has announced already that she's running for lieutenant governor in 2024, Senator Rachel Hunt. Stopped by the office and we chatted about her decision to get into politics And her life growing up in politics. She is the daughter of Governor Jim Hunt. It's a great conversation. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Rachel Hunt, thank you for being on the podcast this afternoon. You are so welcome. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell me a little bit about your Senate district? 
Sure. Uh, my Senate district is the south part, the southern part of Mecklenburg County, goes into some of Charlotte and all of uh, the very southern part, Ballantyne, and then all the way over to Matthews and includes all of Matthews. How long have you lived in the Charlotte area? Uh, this is my 29th year. You're not a native if you weren't born there, so don't try to claim that. Now, I know you went to UNC undergrad. Then you yep. went to University of South Carolina yep. Law School. Did you just not make it quite home? Is that what <laughs> happened when you went down to Columbia? Um, well, I want, knew I wanted to come back to North Carolina, and I actually ended up working in Monroe as a risk manager at a hospital there. Okay which was very interesting. And that's where I met my husband, oh. who was an ER doctor. And he does addiction? Yes. Yeah, so he, um, he retired from emergency department work, and now he does addiction medicine with okay. McLeod Centers. Yes. All right. So we've got a lot to unpack in this conversation. But first, I want to just go back to 2018, when you emerged on the political scene in a formal way. You're a candidate for the North Carolina House. You decide to take on one of the most powerful legislators in the House, Finance Chair Bill Brawley. Can you kind of walk us through how that came to be? Well, you know, at first I said, no, there's not a path to victory. Then I guess a couple things changed and I was shown a path. It wasn't a very, you know, strong path. It was <laughs> one that would require some miracles. Um, but you know, I knew if I worked hard enough and put my entire uh, self into it, you know, raised money, uh, did all the canvassing, did the phone calls, that it, it was possible. It was just a possibility. It was not a probability in any way. So that's what I did. I, I you know, wasn't working um, at a formal job, so I could do it 100% of the time. My children had, were gone from the house. Um, they were in college. So I did that, you know, every day for about 10 hours a day until it got a, to be about a 12-hour-a-day job, and it worked out yeah. um, it, miraculously. <laughs> You're very familiar with the General Assembly. Again, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but can you kind of talk about your two terms in the House? Well, the first two years were just a learning experience. You know, I went in starry-eyed thinking I would write bills and they would be heard in committee and then we'd vote on them in the House. None of that was true. <laughs> I found that out very quickly. And I realized the only way forward with any legislation was to work in a very bipartisan manner, make friends with people on the other side, um, try to bring up subjects that they were interested in, write bills with their names on them. And in that way, um, <clears throat> in my very last year, um, I had a bill that was actually heard in two committees and passed through those that I'd written with John Hardister. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was my crowning achievement with, in legislation terms um, of my work in the House. But it took that long to be able to even get a bill heard in committee. Then in 2022, Senator Jeff Jackson makes a move to run for Congress, and that opens up his seat in the Senate. You make the decision to go over to the upper chamber. Can you walk us through that? Sure. Um, yeah, so I knew Jeff Jackson was going to run for that, and I decided, you know, if I can serve more people, then maybe I can do more good. You know, I knew the Senate was different. It, you know, the House always speaks in a certain way about the Senate, but I decided I wanted to try it myself and see if all that was true. 
And I've actually really enjoyed the Senate. It's a smaller place. It's much more organized. Things are done on schedule. The marathon sessions you <laughs> saw in the House, yes. not as bad over in oh, the Senate, right? No. I mean, being there all night, you know, having sessions that start at midnight right. so you can have two in one day. I mean, yeah, I'm not a person who enjoys that kind of thing. I just think it, the peop, the type of person that excels in each chamber is a little different. Yeah. If you're a type A personality person who likes things to be orderly and on schedule, then the Senate's a better place for you. If you're a really gregarious person who loves talking all hours of the day and night, then maybe you want to stay in the house. You know? I mean, there are a lot of good people to talk to there. You can have a lot of fun. But, you know, obviously you want to get things done in each, each one, but they're done in different ways. Campaigning for the Senate had to be a lot more challenging than the House, especially the retail politics, the door-to-door, mm-hmm. meeting people, going to events. Yes. I mean, it's just a bigger area, you know, three times the number of people. So we, you know, do our own canvassing. We, are, we don't have the folks like they have here in Wake County that help with doing that, um, county to county and all those other groups. So we were out there, um, you know, every day ourselves with anybody we could find to come with us. Often I was by myself or with one other person and we would split up so we could do things faster, you know, which is not the safest way to do it. But you're trying to cover as many doors as you can. And um, there is nothing that compares to canvassing, in my opinion, even paid media. Right. And I will continue to do it even in this next race. So I really believe in it. So let's talk about that next race. You've made the decision to run statewide for lieutenant governor. Can you talk about that decision to run for the number two position Mm -hmm. in state government? Yes. So I, like going from House to Senate, just decided that if I want to really help as many North Carolinians as I possibly can, then being the mouthpiece of every single person in the state especially families, would be a better fit for me. I'm very excited about it, you know, especially considering that my dad did it when I was in the second grade. You know, I think there are so many people in the state who feel like no one is listening to them. Nothing they care about is being done in Raleigh. And, you know, if they just had the idea that a person in state government was actually listening to them, then they would feel better about having faith in government and believing in the things we're trying to do with legislation. How do you see the lieutenant governor being able to do that? So, you know, when dad was lieutenant governor, that was when the lieutenant governor had power. Mm -hmm. They set up all the committees. He could never be absent. In fact, he would never even go to the bathroom while he was presiding. Mm -hmm. Um, He had to miss, you know, the NCAA finals, um, which he still laments because the (laughs) Senate was in session. So, that has all changed. You, you know, obviously you're still presiding, but, you know, the power of setting up the committees is not there. But the bully pulpit is there and the ability to travel around the state, talk to people, attend, you know, events all over the state, give talks to people all over the state, um, you know, just connect with North Carolinians. That is what appeals to me. And I think that is what I would be very good at. Let's talk about your father. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, maybe you're new to North Carolina, new to NC Poll World, uh, the Hunt in Senator Rachel Hunt. She is the daughter of Governor Jim Hunt, who, as you pointed out, Senator, was lieutenant governor, became governor twice, 
elected four separate mm-hmm. times, mm-hmm. ran for U.S. Senate, one of the most storied political careers in North Carolina history, known as the education governor, beloved across the aisle. I think your father probably can't walk into a grocery store or a restaurant without someone recognizing right. him. But I, I want to ask you about growing up as his daughter. Yeah. And you're one of four children. That's right. Yeah. Yes. It was great. I am an extrovert, so I could not ask for a better upbringing. Um, I mean, the bad thing was I was very close to my father growing up. We were the closest, well, except for my brother. But we used to ride horses together all the time, um, you know, just do a lot of things outside. And once he became governor and we moved up here to Raleigh down the street, you know, his workload just increased exponentially. And he's not someone who does things halfway. He would come home for supper, eat, and go back to work. So, you know, there was no extracurricular activities with my dad. You know, he wasn't able to attend things, maybe graduation, but nothing else. Um, Luckily, my mom took up the slack. I mean, you know, I, I showed horses in high school, and she was the groom. And, you know, she was always there for everything. I still had a great time. I mean, we had people in the house 24 hours a day. This is the mansion. You know, people that work there. Also, tour groups. This is back when schools toured, you know, five days a week. He would have breakfast with the legislators, you know, Republicans and Democrats, at least once a week. It seems like it was even more than that. And so there was always something going on. And, you know, I found it exciting and fun and Really, really enjoyed it. Also traveling, you know, to governor's conferences, meeting other governor's kids. That was great. People had very different experiences. In our family, um, were kept grounded because every summer, instead of, you know, my parents joining the country club and going to the pool, we went back to the farm and worked in the fields. So we, I started at age six working in cucumbers. And at age eight, I started working in tobacco. And so every summer, all summer, that is what we did. We had one week we went to the beach, and that's it. There was no camp. Well, there was one week of Grange Camp. But there was no, you know, you spend your summer at a camp or at a pool. None of that. None of that. So This surprises me. Yes, I know. Well, that's my mom. You know, she's Uh the Iowa farmer, and she believes in work. And she knew if we stayed in Raleigh and hung out with our friends, we might get in trouble. And she was not having that. Wow. So you grew up in the mansion. Mm-hmm. I did. This street. Just yeah, down it's the street. right on Bluntree, yep. yeah. Yep. I'm just thinking a life of a princess. Does it sound that way, though? It doesn't <laughs> well, sound, I mean, sometimes it The was. princess gets out and picks I cucumbers. Know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so we had, you know, people that work there, and they were from the prison. Right. So that's still, you know, the case. Most folks don't know that. that yeah. The I mean, prison, the, that's a southern thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many places it's still the case, but I think it is still here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a one of the better places you can work if you're in prison. And I made friends with the, with the folks that work there, of course, because I saw them every day. Um, and, you know, we did have a, a chef who was not who was not in prison, but most everybody was. And... We just did regular things. I mean, you know, the the really funny thing was when we had friends over or when we dated. Because, you know, can you imagine coming up to the gate, saying your name? They're like, you know, and then you have to walk by people with guns, you know, the Highway Patrol. I mean, I can't imagine what that must have been like for those poor guys. Uh (laughs) uh But it was fun for me. When you're, you said your father would come in and 
and maybe have a meal and mm-hmm. then he'd get back to work. Is it one of those things where around the dining room table you are talking politics? Yeah, we were talking everything. You know, first they'd want to know how our day was, of course, regular parent stuff, but also all the topics of the day. My dad was often so upset about something. Sometimes he was happy about something, but he let it be known how he felt. He was, you know, he's very expressive. Uh, And if he, you know, and he also, though, did, you know, sometimes look at our papers and other things and he was very expressive about that i would fail you you know the whole thing so uh yeah he was pretty tough he was pretty tough dad um but you know great 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 guy and just so passionate about the state and making things happen and i'm so proud of it was there a time in your childhood where you said i think i could go into this business actually there was a time when i said i'm never gonna do that of course ever (laughs) And that was after I worked on the Hunt Helms race 84. in 84. And I was a sophomore in college. And I said, I'm leaving the state. So after I graduated from college, um, I did volunteer work in uh, Northern Virginia. Oh, wow. Yep. So this was 1984. Mm-hmm. Former U.S. Senator Jesse Helms, a legend in his own right, That's right. faced a challenger from Governor Jim Hunt. This was the race to watch in the country that year yes i remember that race i was in the eighth grade oh wow i did a project about that race i i cut out every in and o clipping of that race that year probably have it somewhere that was a hard race it was hard to see your dad being attacked it was horrible i mean i nothing compares to that there's there's not been a lower point for him i don't think but he got back up, you know, I and mean, that's what he's like. He became governor again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know. We have folks on the podcast, and I'll ask them, especially those who are new to politics, I'll ask them what their reaction was to the first hit piece that hit them. Mm-hmm. And across the board, partisanship or otherwise, they'll say, it was okay for me, but it was really hard for my wife, or mm-hmm. it was really hard for my mm-hmm. kids. That had to be hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was hard. Yeah, Absolutely. As the children, yeah. And people, you know, we'd worked on the campaign, so it was awful. Your decision to come back. So you're doing volunteer Mm -hmm. work in Virginia. What brought you back to North Carolina? So um, I was doing, yeah, volunteer work in Virginia. Then I did volunteer work in Washington, D.C. Then I went to law school at the University of South Carolina. I just started missing North Carolina while I was in law school, and I just said, I've got to go back, you know, i I can't stay away. And then moved back and started working in Monroe at the hospital. Your father, what does he think of politics in your career now? Is he is he one to say, yeah, go get him, daughter? Or is he like, Ugh. Oh, no. He and my mom are huge cheerleaders. Yeah. I mean, they started back in 2018. They were on the trail with me. They canvassed with me. Dad had his own call sheet back then. I mean, it was he, wow. he was in 100%. You know, things are different now. They're not as young. Um, but every day he calls me and he's like, keep rolling, keep rolling. You know, I mean, he just, he, he's always optimistic. He's always sure things can get better. I mean, he's just the perfect person you want to have listen to you in politics because things are difficult a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And you can feel like you're not doing as well as you wish you were. But once you hear that voice, keep rolling. You yeah. know, you can internalize it and feel a lot better. It's not lost on me 
that you are following a similar path of your father's political career, whether on purpose or not. You are an attorney. You could be attorney general if you wanted to and won that race. Do you see the lieutenant governor's office as a path to returning to the mansion? You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It could be. Um, you know, we've things have kind of turned towards the AG office toward, you know, becoming the stepping stone. But you never know. We'll just see. AG, uh, Attorney General, or some people call it almost governor. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> governor Purdue took that path. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I'm not put, putting anything off. I'm not taking anything off the table. Has it changed your service in the Senate being already you're a declared candidate for lieutenant governor? The man you want to replace presides over your mm -hmm. chamber. Is that any tension there at all, do you sense? No. I mean, I don't feel any from him, so that's good. Um, it, you know, I mean, everybody's congratulated me, Republicans and Democrats, which mm -hmm. is very nice. You know, I think it's going to be harder to get any bills with my names on them moving for political reasons. I understand that. You know, this is, I'm not a novice in politics. I, it's just politics. I mean, you have to look at it that way. It's not personal. So that's the only thing I've really noticed. But, you know, we're just doing the best we can to, to be a good, I'm doing the best I can to be a good senator right now mm -hmm. because that's my role. Um, the other is ancillary. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned it earlier that our politics have changed. Uh, I would say as far as our civility, we are not living in the same era that your father governed in. Could be social media. Could be we've just got more crass. Some have said it's just the national politics creeping mm -hmm. down into North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Your father had an unusual way of keeping that at bay, yep. it seemed. I want to ask you, Senator, if you had a magic wand and you could change something in our politics, what would it be? Well, I've thought about that because I knew you were going to ask this. You know, there's a saying um, that the Maasai tribe have, and that is instead of greeting people with, how are you doing? Um, what do you do? It's how are the children? Mm. And to me, if we could only internalize that as the thing that we think about first when we're making laws, how are the children? That would revolutionize the way that we that we interact with each other and the way that we make policy. And it would be such a better world um, if we could just do that. So how are the children? That is the thing that would make things so much better, in my opinion. I really like that. Me too. I mean, it, it really sh tells the other person, you have kids, I have kids, we want a better world. Absolutely. Might or just even if you don't have kids, right. but the children of the world. Yeah. You know, which we, if we don't call it care about children, yeah. and you know, today there was another school shooting. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to put children first. If we don't, then we're not doing what we should do, especially as public servants. Well, Senator Rachel Hunt, we appreciate everything that you are doing in North Carolina politics, your service in the House, your service in the Senate. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast oh, today. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. 
The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. This guy, I missed you on that interview. Yeah, I had to go to the doctor. Yeah, you were missed. Can you imagine growing up in the governor's mansion and what that must have been like? No, I really can't. It's huge. But I have seen the movie. Uh, It's a Disney Channel original film, my dad. (laughs) I was a big Disney Channel original movie girl on Fridays. And it was called My Date with the President's Daughter. And... I mean, you could tell by the title what the movie was about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Senator Hunt is living a Disney movie in real life. Maybe. Yeah. Thank you, Senator Hunt, for stopping by the office. I certainly enjoyed the conversation. Best of luck in your statewide race. Tweet Tweet of of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Andy Spey. He's at Andy Spey, and that's S-P-E-C-H-T. On Twitter, he works at WRAL. It's a quote tweet of Brian Murphy saying, Speaker Tim Moore says on schedule for an adjournment in June. And Andy Spay tweeted, if there's one thing I'd never put money on. So true. How many times have we been told we're getting out July 1 and we are in session going into the fall? It's like the, how was your weekend? It's like, when do you think we're going to get out of session? Mm-hmm. You know, it's something people talk about so much. I've learned to not schedule a vacation in July or August because inevitably, if you do that, you will be working on the beach, on your laptop. I am optimistic that this year we do get out by July 1. I think if any year it could happen, it could be this year. Just looking at this truncated schedule we have on the budget, I'm hopeful. Knock on wood. I'm not sure that's real wood. (laughs) I mean, it was a $30 table off Amazon, sir. I'm not sure that knocking on, maybe this is. I I doubt it. I'm not sure we have any real wood here. So this week, there was so much discussion around sports and sports injuries, all of it relating, of course, to the bill about women's sports. And it got us kind of chatting in the building about some of the injuries that maybe we had or weird things that happened when we played sports when we were younger. You had an injury when you played softball. I was hit in the face and the bone under my eye shattered. And I actually had to wear one of those like cage things on your face. They just put me in the outfield the rest of the, like I had a tournament or something the next weekend. But um, I also had to take my driving test that way. And one of my eye was, my right eye was swollen shut. So I did miss points. And that's something that I'll, that I'm pretty mad about because like I couldn't see the car coming to my right. Oh man. I remember when I was a kid, I played little league baseball. I played baseball all my life. And then when I was a kid, 
you know, my mom is at a game. I'm pitching. It's a Saturday afternoon game. I remember, I didn't get injured. My mom thought I was going to get injured. She tells the umpire, we need to stop the game. She's up in the stands. So he stopped it? He stops the game. Time out. And my mom goes over and talks to the coach. And What did you think was happening at this I moment? I did not know. I just knew my mother was making a scene. Okay. And it was... How old are you? 12, okay. 11, something like that. Remember, I played for the Angels. Coach Woody, guy I talked about a couple weeks ago, great coach. He comes out to the pitcher's mound and he says, your mom thinks that you're too hot out here and she's worried about you. This is the 1970s, early 80s, and we're wearing these heavy polyester, you know, baseball uniforms. I think now they wear t-shirts or that, that wicking stuff, which by the way, wicking is a lie. Well, you call that, what do you call it? You don't call it dry fit. Whatever. You call it a technical shirt. I was wearing a technical shirt. (laughs) I'm going to get the wicking. Anyway, he says, your mom wants me to take your jersey off and you just wear a t-shirt and pitch. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. My mom was a worrier and she was worried that I was overheated. It's kind of sweet. It was very sweet. So I had the same softball coach in middle and high school. And he's kind of a no-nonsense guy. This is a common misconception that it's not hot in the Midwest in the summer, but it's very hot and very humid. So in August, when we'd be practicing in junior high, it'd be like 95 to 100 degrees, and he wouldn't give us water breaks. The parents started to get mad about that, similar to your mom, Mm -hmm. and petitioned to the school. So next practice comes around. obviously none of us would ever say anything to his face Uh you know we just went home and whined Uh so (laughs) the next day practice he gathers everyone and says look i've been told by the school you have to have a water break every 30 minutes so you will have four breaks at the end of practice (laughs) (laughs) old school yeah so we didn't get water breaks he also used to make us like you know if you did something wrong, you had to take a lap or whatever, mm-hmm. but you get behind the shed where they sold concessions, take a couple walks there. <laughs> Sports have changed a lot since, I know since I was a kid, but maybe since you were a kid. I mean, were you guys punished with running? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if for every error you made, you had to yeah. do a lap. I mean, it was, and apparently we're not supposed to punish kids with exercise now because it makes yeah. exercise a bad thing, but... I don't know. Participation Trophy Nation. All right. But I do recall, back to my Dana Frederick story when she dropped the ball. (laughs) But one time he said to her, is your mom okay? She said, yeah. You know, again, she's, I think we were in seventh grade at the time. He's like, is your dad okay? She's like, yeah. He's like, are you okay? She's like, yeah. And he's like, then why do you play like <laughs> it really stuck with me. Oh man. We were not nurtured in on any of my teams. And of course as you play, you know, it gets more competitive. Like, yeah, you would just get dogged. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Because I feel like it did make me a better player when I was yelled at. Although I did like positive affirmation. Everyone likes that. And and I'll, I had coaches that were really good about that. But I remember 
when you were in practice, and let's just say you booted a ball at shortstop, you just got a hundred more ground balls and they were harder and harder mm-hmm. and harder. And it, I remember, I don't care if the ball hits you, let it hit you, but it better not get in that grass. Put your body in front of the ball. Yeah. 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 I remember getting yelled at for ducking a pitch when I'm up to bat. Like if you didn't take it in the yeah. back, like what in the world are you up there? You're up there to get on yeah. base. Yeah. I remember too, if you know the number four hitter came up, you you went inside. Like if you hit him, you hit him. I'd rather him be on first base than circling the bases, right? right? But I don't know if I know you don't. Do I that. hit people a lot when I was pitching. My catcher was like my friend from down the street. Uh-huh. She'd give me the sign if she didn't like somebody. I'd nail him in the head. <laughs> was it a middle finger sign? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know. I stay that loyal to this day. <laughs> <laughs> but you're more subtle now. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay, we can't talk about that. That's classified information <laughs> right there. If you had the opportunity to play professional sports, would it be softball? Yeah. I mean, I haven't played softball in a long time. Mm-hmm. I would have been a baseball player. I would have loved to live the baseball life. But as a coach told me, you're going to do great things, Brian. And it's not going to require foot speed. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope you have a great weekend this weekend. I'm going to catch some baseball on TV. I think I'm going to the NC State baseball game. Are you really? State Clemson. All right, over at Doak. That is a great field over there near Sullivan Hall. Yeah, great place to see a ball game. Whatever you decide to do this weekend, we hope that you relax because we think next week is going to be full of bills on the house floor today many committee chairs stood up and said hey we're gonna have a ton of bills in committee next week please show up read the bills ahead of time sort of thing and we're approaching crossover that's may 4th and so bills are going to be flying everywhere it's that time of the year so buckle up but until then get some rest go outside maybe watch some baseball whatever you do please remember to do politics better 